Simo and Redmond are the thong slappers. They're two blokes making lots of noise but getting nowhere fast. Victor Charlie Charlie, this is Mike Sierra Foxtrot. Are you there, Red Mo? Yeah, I got you there. Come back, go. <laughs> Mate, there's nothing more appropriate for 1991 than the Flying Doctors, that fantastic Australian TV series. Now, just in case you think I'm going a bit weird since we did our last episode, there's actually some very interesting car-based specs to do with that TV show, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But, mate, how are you going? And welcome to episode four. I'm going very good, mate. I'm just a bit bit tired on the burning the candle both ends, but glad to be uh, here at episode four. Pretty pretty exciting. So. That's the guy. And melting it in the middle at the same time. Sounds like my life. <laughs> it is, actually. We've had a lot of rain up here in Townsville. It's beautiful. I'm wetter than a prawn's foot. <laughs> you know, something that um, has come along, <clears throat> sorry, with this podcast is these hotter than a blah, 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 and wetter than a this and that, and man, it, just, it makes me laugh every time, so that's definitely the go. Hey, um, I was just going to ask you how your new muff was going on your microphone. Is that going, oh, definitely on your microphone, is that going all right? I had a bit of trouble getting it all up mounted, the muff on the microphone, that is. Yeah, <laughs> I had yeah. a bit of trouble, and I sent you a photo of trying to get the thing together, and I think you sent me back some instructions about, well, you said put it between basically my nose and the microphone, so <laughs> I've done that, and yeah, it hurt. But I'll send you, you know, I sent you a fan of that. It seems to be the most logical place. And look, I'm sure you've had a muff near your nose before, so it'll be all right. Boom, hey, boom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, mate. I'm just tired too. That's all it is. Hey, um, look, I guess I wanted to just have a quick chat before we get cracking. There's a few things, a couple of unforced areas we need to review. But, mate, um, it sounds a bit different there this time. Last time it sounded like you were coming to us from, like you were trapped in Jumanji, and I thought I was going to have to come back and help save you. You shoot all the wildlife around your way, did you? It wasn't so much an issue of shooting all the wildlife. It's this damn laptop that you and I try and use to record our, our little thing. Dead set, I could think of nothing worse. That's why you and I have points and, and carburetors. Imagine tuning a car and having to use a laptop. I could think of nothing worse. If I would, it'd be like having your wife help you choose a motorcycle. Mate, you're dead right about the technology part, especially with the laptops. But the problem is you, you start mixing in things like computers with our brain power and that's when things go off track and um i had a couple of little unforced errors in the last last couple of episodes first of all i know everyone's annoyed i called quentin feast Tirana an lx instead of an lh but i gotta tell you it's, it's a red headlights that did it for me so i hope everyone can forgive me and also the fact that it's actually reg Mombasa who is peter doherty's brother in mental as anything it's not martin plaza you know what it's like. They've both got brown, long hair. It's just kind of what happens. So they're my little fix-ups. But, um, mate, have you spent any time watching the Winter Olympics when that was on? Did you get into that at all? I did. I, I did not. She fell off afternoon shift, as you know. So when I come home the other day, I was watching an event. I think it was – I was a bit tired. I think it was the hair-straightening event. Yeah, the Japanese team were winning. They were going pretty well, actually. But the, uh, the Greek athletes, they tend to – Imagine being in a Greek Olympic hair straightening team. Man, do you reckon they drug test them or test them for like Sassoon, you know? <laughs> you know, well, that was probably a question I shouldn't have asked. But anyway, yeah, look, it's kind of funny. I have these, always have these grand plans of watching the Olympics and just getting into it. And I really enjoy like that. It's just like the car person in me, and as it would be for you and a lot of other people, you get four people next to each other racing downhill on snowboards or skis, and it's pretty awesome to watch, but... 
I find just actually if you work for a living, it's very difficult to watch the Olympics because everything that's great is on when you're at work, you know, like even like you would have missed good stuff at night. But one event actually that I always get into that I never thought I would see the day that I'd ever be into is the curling. You know, when they, they sort of slide those pots down the ice and they, they like got these funny looking broom things and they're sweeping the way for it. Have you ever seen that? Unfortunately, yes. I know what you're saying, and it sounds like I'm, I'm telling you I'm liking, like, the, um, you know, synchronised swimming at the Summer Olympics. It's nothing like that. Okay, you watch the men's events, it's pretty boring, but the, the women's events in curling, man, they get into it. and They're screaming at each other, and it kind of makes it kind of exciting. So I think it's just kind of looks like housework, which is probably why I avoid it. <laughs> yeah, have, you, have you seen the board cross and the, the, uh, the Winter Olympics, the board cross? No. It's like a downhill motocross track, and they're on uh, snowboards. Yeah. And the, tr- the track is awesome. They've got, like, rhythm sections. They've got berms. It, it, to think about it, it's like a downhill motocross track. Oh, and it's yeah. awesome. It's really, really good event and really aerobic, really gymnastic. And it, it shares a lot of the rhythm sections and stuff with motocross. It's, it's excellent. I, I think with the Olympics, they should run – I don't know what they go with with steroids, but I think they should run a, an alternate Olympics that is just full steroids like an X-File Olympics and let them take whatever steroids they want. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> that would be like – what was the old extreme games? It's probably just like the beyond extreme games, I think, with that. Uh-huh. Imagine seeing the sprinters like, like you have to – if you're in the velodrome and you're a cyclist, yeah. you have to stop every lap and shoot Stanisol straight into your leg or something and <laughs> – Really? really? No, but no, but let's really see what human performance oh, can do. Wouldn't you watch that? See if we could take human performance, have these guys that are, you know, six second, 100 metres and just, oh, I would definitely watch it. I reckon that'd be great. Yeah. And the- Look, I think it's definitely the fact that being car people and being into like speed and performance and all that, that's why, you know, events like that really do appeal because people racing each other, it's like the old saying, you know, the first drag race happened after the second car came off the production line. Like, it's that whole interest in, in that sort of stuff that makes it really cool. And actually, funnily enough, just before the Winter Olympics kicked off, I listened to a really good interview. Uh, I was on that, you know, the ABC Conversation Hour. It's a, a different podcast that runs. It's a pretty good one to listen to also. And um, they actually did an interview with that guy who, oh, Stephen Bradbury, you know, who yeah. won the gold yep. back in 2002 or whenever it was. And, mate, look, you know, as much as it's a really Australian thing and the whole, like, basically the saying, oh, he's done a Bradbury, you know, it's come into the Australian vernacular as far as if you just fluke something. Mate, if you actually listen and, and learn about this guy's journey, it's amazing, like, the triumphs and the drama he went through. Like, you don't get to the final at an Olympic event like that because you don't know what you're doing, let's be honest. He had an amazing career, but he, you know, it's a really good one to listen to. And it's, um, it's just... I'll never forget the look in his face when he wings through and he puts his hands up and says, yes, that was pretty cool. That's probably like the thing that got me motivated to watch in the first place. But yeah, What I yeah. don't get with the Olympics, with not getting too into what I don't get is the uh, amateur status. Why it's such a what, – what is the, the goal of, of having it as amateur status? What do we get – what are the athletes – you know, I mean, there's nothing else. Maybe college football in America, like the, the uh, NRL or the college. I don't understand the whole amateur thing with the Olympics. I mean, these guys are at the top of their top. Yeah, sure. Somebody, somebody's getting paid, aren't they? Who, you know, there is a lot of money in that. So why do we yeah. have to talk to somebody who I suppose is into that that side of it? But I don't understand it. No, no. You know the the laurels. You know what a laurel is? Rest no. on your laurels. Oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, sure. Well, that was the actual prize they used to get back in uh, when the Olympics were first formed. You know, you know what a wreath is? A laurel. Yeah, yeah, sure. So that's where they get the. You know, if you if you won the thing, you got the laurel. Also. Uh-huh. 
Oh, have a look on the back of a VK Brock. See the decal, the Brock decal right on the back below the fuel filler. Each side, oh, well, the fuel filler one side and the infill panel the other. Yeah. It's got an actual reef, like a laurel on there, a part of the design. Oh, there you go. Jeez, mate. You Absolutely useless look. information that you'll have to do 30 seconds deleting out, <laughs> editing out. <laughs> no, it could just run. Trust me. It's all good. Hey, um, another probably biggest foobar from us was um, we didn't talk about the demise of the 186 in 986 or the red or I guess it was it's the too black motor by that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can't talk about it. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, of course, we lost the old, good old Aussie red, blue, black six cylinder in 1986. And when we, of course, we went to VL. But mate, I guess moving on, we've got a bit of feedback here to go through. It's been wide and varied. I'm just going to read you a couple. Okay. Now, one bloke, Nick Wynn, he messages and says, Listen to your episodes today, gents. Bloody good stuff. Keep it up. Cheers for that, Nick. Um, Big Macca, he actually sent us a picture of him doing stiffy pants. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Pissed myself. Uh, I'm such a child. Pants. And uh, here we go. We've got a photo of him in his car with stiffy pants in his work gear, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Mate, just on this. Now, you obviously know a bloke called Adam Walpole. Did I pronounce his name yes. right? Yes. Walpole. It's like Walpole. Walpole. Believe yeah. me, it's, it rhymes with small pole. <laughs> <laughs> now, AKA Hoggy, that's his nickname. Yep. So, Adam slash Hoggy writes. Episode three was the best yet, Simon. A big fuck you to Redmond for the 2086 completion comment on my VL turbo build. I'm surprised he didn't say more about the turbo Sigma. He was always dirty on my Sigma because his poor old K would never stand a chance. Love, Hoggy. So um, that might be something you have to take up with him, but that was pretty cool. But, but what, um, what, if he's, what if he's corrected all of that, damn it? <laughs> um, one thing, actually, we had an interesting question from Cal Scott. And he was wondering what the go was with the mini truck scene, like whatever happened to that, just sort of, especially the fact he knew we were starting to talk about 1991. And, um, mate, I, I guess, what, what are your thoughts? I'll, look, I'll read out his question and you see what we can come up with together, the brain's trust here. Just a question I thought you genius blokes may know the answer to. Where have all the mini trucks from the 90s gone to? And also, why the fuck did they become so popular even though they were shit? Got any thoughts on that? Mr. Hilux driver? I'll start us off, but yeah, um, you didn't have to say that in front of everybody. I don't have a Hilux. I've got a truck. <laughs> uh, I don't think I was shit. I think the Japanese, you, there was something in one of the Street Machine Summonat books, I beg your pardon, magazines about three or four years ago, and I'm probably misquoting it, but it was along the lines of if you're going to bring a V8 converted Japanese ute to the Summonats, don't bother. We've got heaps or something, or something along a bit. A bit like that, but I actually I quite rate them. I think they're very good. Lots of parts for them mutes. But what, what do you think of the the mini trucks? Okay, I know these days we have some massively high end builds of mini trucks. Like there's that uh, I think it's an LS powered Rodeo that was featured in Street Machine a few years ago. That kind of candy red one. But we have yep. a couple of really high end builds now. But as far as the general mini truck thing goes, I, I just think they hit this, especially in Queensland anyway. I think they hit the scene a bit early. Like back when they were kind of the hot ticket item, like sort of in the early 2000s, especially in Queensland, mate, you'd see some awesome, you know, Hiluxes and stuff getting around. But, you know, they were airbagged, they'd do the chassis cuts, they'd chop the, the tray out and all the rest of it. But, mate, they just became flavour of the month for local police and transport because you couldn't legally do, do stuff like that up here. You couldn't airbag, you couldn't do chassis cuts, you couldn't do anything cool. And I think, you know, the ones you did see get around, 
they were soon off the road, never to be seen again, like as in the really cool, properly done ones. Like up in Queensland, you can't even legally back in those days run alternative rims and tyres on a two-wheel drive light commercial. So, you know, some of the enterprising people, they'd stick with the, the normal Hilux wheels and put moon discs on them or they'd put white walls. They'd try and do something to mix it up. But I, I, I think, in my opinion, they pretty much got squeezed out because of the lack of the ability to make them a legal road-going vehicle here, as in to keep it cool looking too. And I think also, too, maybe the thing that let them down was the fact that, you know, you didn't have the range of V8 conversions you could probably do now or even hot four-cylinder conversions like SR20s or whatever, and people are putting, of course, the Lexus V8s into them, too. I think the fact that back then you might have had a mini truck, it might have had like a, you know, a 3Y or a Toyota engine or maybe a 22R if you're lucky, which aren't a bad engine. I think maybe that performance side as far as over here probably let down the scene. I don't know. Does that make sense? Or do you think I'm just talking shit? What do you reckon? No, no, I think that that's quite right. Daniel Peachy, who's a serial letter writer into Street Machine and Photo, he's a con- like a contributor, same as I am, not a not a paid guy, just a guy that sends in some stuff. He wrote something about that Celica that was in Street Machine a little while ago, and he goes, hey, I, I, I like it, but it's yeah. not Street Machine's style. It's not streetcar style. So if we take mini truck and we get rid of that word and we call them a V8 converted Japanese ute, then we... Got a lot we can do with them there. If you know, like, is it yeah, slang? Sure. You can lower it. You don't have to necessarily airbag it. You can you can lower it, do the bits and pieces. They're a cab chassis. So for the home builder, a cab chassis is an excellent setup. You can get the cab off yourself. It makes it easy to work with. So I think let's not call them mini trucks anymore. Let's call them V8 conversion projects. You know, so that's a project that you can V8 converting. I a little like 2001 Hilux. I've just got to put this in here because I absolutely cop it. It dead set looks like I'm 19 when I drive it. I, I bought it just as an ex-plumber. You, you've seen the racks. It had racks and everything all over it. On the way home from where I bought it, I drove straight past the wreckers and bought some Falcon, like some 17-inch mags or whatever, cut all the racks off, got the windows tinted the next day, put the lowering blocks in it, wound the front end down, put some TRD stickers on it, you know, and it just dead set looks like a 19-year-old's car. But I wanted to paint the rims off. Half thinking about paying a Simmons on my VK gold. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I, I contacted a friend who's a spray painter. He told me the exact colour. It was a De Beers gold with a gold pearl through it. So I went and bought all the proper paint. First up, I thought I'd paint the rims on my Hilux as a practice to see if the gold colour's right. And if it's not right, it doesn't matter. It's just my Hilux, my daily driver. Yeah, sure. I got the wheels sandblasted and we painted them. And they are Australia's yellowest wheels. You've seen them, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> They kind of look like the Golden Gay Time Crunch, that kind of colour, you know. But that's the thing. It's, I don't know, it doesn't look bad. It's definitely individual. So I think people, as you're looking at the at the beer, you know, you've got that um, <laughs> beer keg. <laughs> keg on the back. So I think that does I get breath tested so much. I may, as well, I may as well glue a carton of beer to the roof. I get breath tested. The cops just pull me over. And I don't know why. It's obviously a toolbox on the back I've converted to a, to a beer keg. But, um, yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe the other way round. Converted you know a, what? The, saying you converted a tool a toolbox to a beer keg, that's um, probably a good idea. You could actually put a toolbox on there permanently and just have a beer keg inside of it. The tap hanging out the side might be a good giveaway, <laughs> but that could work too. It should give it away. But um, when we're talking about a few, I think it's a very, very good streetcar for somebody to do because it's got a full chassis, it's got commercial brakes, it's you can get the cab off it, like I said. But I mentioned it to a friend, Kiwi Dave, he was looking at doing maybe a HT or something, getting his, his first streetcar for a long time. And I said to him, hey, get a, a Hilux Ute and do an LS Final 2 conversion. Yeah. And something he said that I never considered, quote Kiwi Dave, yeah, it'd be all right, but it looks gay. And I went, yeah, possibly, 
Yeah, I've never considered that. <laughs> so how did that yeah, kick to the nuts feel? Yeah, well, compared to a, suppose a Kingswood, it probably does. Yeah, look, if you're a tradie in Brisbane, you just jack the thing right up. It'd be four-wheel drive to start with. It'd have black wheels and personalised number plates. So, you know, it's a whole uh, genre of its own, I think. But yeah. I, ha- I hate the... I hate the diesel utes, you know, my, my saying. It's the Leyland brothers. It's everybody. I'm like, where the fuck are these guys think they're going? Like, they're driving up and down the road. Like, there's no creek crossings here, you know. Why the hell have we got something that's jacked up? And you know what? They put a rooftop tent on them. Have you seen the King's canopies and all the camping rooftop tents and shit they've got on them lately? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What could be worse holiday? Not only spending it with your fucking stupid fucking missing patrol, but sleeping on the roof of the fucking thing. <laughs> Well, what, what is in the outback that's so exciting? I've been out there, like, there's the red rocks and lizards and shit. There's no wet T-shirt contest. There's no fucking bars. There's no pasta. You can't get a newspaper. What the fuck are they? When kangaroos when kangaroos have got double D tits, I'll go into the outback for a holiday. <laughs> you know what I think it is? It's probably peace and quiet, mate. It's probably why your neighbours go there all the time. <laughs> My neighbours deserve a medal for neighbour for neighbouring. Don across the road, he's a retired uh, army padre, and his wife Bev, she's a retired school teacher, and they are very, very good friends for thirteen years. They have been really good friends, but I reckon old Don could be a judge at the Summer Nats Burnout Contest. Yeah, right. Okay, you reckon he's had enough visual experience checking out your yard? Oh, he's seen a few. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, I mate. don't deserve the neighbours. I got their champions. Oh, that's the go. Yeah, sadly mine aren't, but that's another story altogether. Hey, mate. You want me to come for a visit? <laughs> yeah. When I'm ready to move out, I think we will. We'll just do one of those summon that's been out in the street. Yeah. Hey, mate, probably quickly get on to some exciting news. Now, we've got a couple of competitions running that we're going to introduce to people. The first one, which we're hoping to get on the go, is the Fong Slappers Gen Y of the Year Award. So if yourself or if you know someone who's Gen Y, who's, you know, really hitting the hard yards in the old school car scene or just basically not a Gen Y in, in personality, I suppose. Is that probably the best way to describe it? We're going to have the, the uh, Fong Slappers 2018 Gen Y of the Year. So if you know anyone who you think is, is a good candidate for that, please get them to send some information to us and a photo to fongslappers at optusnet.com.au and... um. Probably get the, the winner of that, I think, probably a magazine subscription to Street Machine. What do you reckon? Yep, that was the price that we discussed. So that's a very good thing. Uh, yeah, I've got sure. a, I know definitely a couple of good young people. Young Cody that's got the, the Galant. He's got a little silver, uh, little orange Galant that I wrote up for a magazine. Yeah. I think yeah. I, described, I described him in the article I wrote for the magazine as, hey, here's a, a Gen Y guy that's not out putting his skyline into power poles or, you know, uh, King Hitting or, you know, any of that sort of thing. No, it's a very good thing. And, yeah. So, yes, Gen Y of the Year. If you know someone who you think is worth nominating for that, give us a bell. Uh, also, did you want to uh, describe to people the new hashtag of Moot? Yes, well, that's, that's something we've got now. Are you a Moot? That's the question. And what does Moot stand for? Mate of Original Thong Slappers. Yes, that's right. Uh, so, if, um, Are you a Moot? If you can describe one of your mates as a Moot, if you're carrying on like a Moot, if in you personality... Like if you smell <laughs> Sorry, it has been said. If generally you think that you are a mutt, just know or hashtag a smut in something as well and we'll see what uh, what the go is there. Mate, kick it on. I think it's time we get to 1991 on this, mate. And uh, what actually happened in 1991? 
<laughs> you lost. Now, of course, in 1991, we were 17 turning 18. It's, it was, a, I guess, a big time, you know, look, a couple of things that stand in my mind. And this is, I guess, especially as our parents, for the most part, grew up, you know, when the Vietnam War and stuff was happening, was that the actual Gulf War began. Do you remember? Remember yeah, that? Of course. I remember. My mum, her brother was of the age to be conscripted into Vietnam, but just by some pure fluke didn't have his birthday read out. She was freaking out, thinking they might bring back conscription and we would have been the right age and all the rest of it. So that was sort of something I always remember. But, yeah, mate, um, that was, I guess, in Australia, that was, you know, a fair bit of change. And I guess a fair bit of change for much going from high school into whatever else you were doing outside of school, of course, like us with their apprenticeships and stuff like that. But um, one thing I actually remember, do you remember Victor Chang, the heart surgeon? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, do you remember yep. he actually got kidnapped and, shot. and murdered and just such a waste, such a waste of, like, an amazing man. Uh, he, he actually got kidnapped as an extortion type of thing. That were these guys who took him were trying to, you know, extort a couple of million dollars out of him. And when that all failed, they killed him instead. But um, he was actually a Chinese Australian cardiac surgeon. He was the pioneer of the modern heart transplant. I mean, you just imagine what that what that guy would have achieved if he was still left to be just such a life changer. He actually did the first heart transplant. Remember Fiona Coote? Fiona Coote. Yeah, yep. that's right. So just such a waste of an amazing talent, I think, and stuff of that kind of is uh, really shits me off when I think about it in hindsight. All for nothing. The guy's got nothing out of it except jail time. Interestingly enough, moving on from that, The Simpsons debuted on Network 10. Yeah, it's a very good show, The Simpsons. I know, it's an awesome show. I just can't believe it's that long, that old. You know, it's been around for that long. Have you noticed the shift shift in The Simpsons? I think it was probably 10 or 15 years ago that it really shifted from being the show about Bart to Homer being the main character. Did you notice yeah. it was a bit, uh, you know, really a bit subtle, but definitely it must have been a, a, a waypoint in the writers, whether they just got creative and that's the way they went, but it really become about Homer. I totally agree. And that's probably been a good thing, but it, it's amazing how they keep it fresh and how they keep it funny after so many years. And how the fact it can still be funny to, like, us. I guess it's like you say, you know, we still might be 13 in the brain. That's probably why. But how it can still appeal to so many generations. I can remember when it first sort of started and I was sitting there watching it. You know, I was probably however old, I don't know, 17, 18, whatever it was, watching the show and laughing. And my dad walking past and going, oh, what's this shit? You know, because I'm watching basically in inverted commas a cartoon. I said, it's a Simpsons set. It's actually pretty funny. Two minutes later, he's sitting next to me laughing at the show. You know, like he's gone from bagging it to loving it all in one foul swoop. But um, I guess car-wise, a good show was Home Improvement with you know Tim Allen. Yeah, he's Tim obviously got a, he's obviously got a great history of cars, and he's a you know proud hot rod and all the rest of it. You usually catch glimpses of some pretty cool cars in that show, which I think was a great thing. So. I think it was like a 55 Nomad and there's various hot rods and stuff. And even through some of his movies, you see hot rods and stuff like that as well. What I noticed about Tim Allen, first on Home Improvement, just kind of walking past or just kind of start listening to it. When he describes something, he goes, you know, just in the show, in character, he goes, oh, you know, I've got my 350 Chevy with an aluminum manifold. And it's, the way he describes stuff, you go, ah, hold on. <laughs> that yeah. guy's ac- actually talking cars. And then I haven't seen Fast and Furious, any of them. I have to apologise. I've seen a bit of one. I've watched it with Nigel. And the actor, and I think it was Vin Diesel, he's so forced, the exact same thing is so forced. You, go, you will blow the welds off the manifold, you know, just a, a not car guy talking. <laughs> That's right. It's kind of like us talking about computers, like as if trying to make it, if someone told us what to say, I think it's yeah. like we knew what we were talking about when really we just sound so fake, it'd be terrible. 
So I'm hearing you on that part. Movie-wise, probably my favourite movie from 91 would be Terminator 2. Look, Terminator was a great movie, but Terminator 2, I think after the success of Terminator, Terminator 2 came back just with a massive budget. It had that fantastic Guns N' Roses song, You Could Be Mine, which kind of, I guess, was a re-injection into their career and um, it came alongside with the Use Your Illusions 1 and 2 album releases as well. But, mate, it just the level of, uh, I guess, quality and action, and it was just a fantastic movie. I still love watching it now. So that's obviously, I imagine, something you would have seen. Yeah, I've definitely seen T2. You notice that just because I'm a car guy and I'm a bike guy, you notice uh, in the scene where the two kids are in the garage and they're playing with that mini bike and the mum comes in and gives them a rev yeah. about clean up his room or some bullshit. He's actually revving the motorcycle as if they're tuning it and it's got a two-stroke sound. It sounds like a two-stroke mini bike. And yet when you have a look, it's an XR75, which is a four-stroke. And then when they take off, in that movie, the continuity is wrong in the motorcycle sound. It's, you know, it's a 250, then it's a four, uh, sorry, it's a two-stroke and then it's a four-stroke. But more importantly, how's the mullet on that ranger? <laughs> I bet that's what you look like at that age. You know, I've never had a mullet. I've had a flat top my entire life, except when I just, every now and then, I just shave it off to start again. But not, not a runner at <laughs> the mullet. I was a, I was a, it's, you know what? Because I'm a boy. Boys have short hair. Yeah, okay. Yeah, look, I think that was an awesome mullet. And I never had a mullet that good because my hair's probably a bit curly, but... Actually, it's funny, the guy who played that red-headed guy, you know, with the mullet, who's at, like, the video arcade with John Connor, he's actually, like, a child actor, a childhood actor. He used to be, you remember different strokes, like with Arnold Jackson? Uh, unfortunately. Now, Arnold, is it Jackson? Arnold, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Arnold Jackson. Arnold Willis's Drummond. brother. What's she talking about, uh, Willis? You know? Arnold Drummond. Oh, oh, who was Jackson? Was that the dad? Mr. Jackson. No, he's a th- the singer, Michael. Michael you know, Jackson. Anyway, you, but you are aware that there was a television show called Different Strokes. You know, when TV sitcoms and stuff, they start to drag on and they start to run out of ideas and they start introducing new characters. And then that particular thing, Mr. Drummond, like the dad, he got a new a new squeeze, like a, a new partner who he ended up marrying. And she had a, a redheaded son called Sam. That's actually the same guy. So he became like the new, kind of like the Scrappy-Doo character for, you know, for Arnold was... um. Yeah, you know they call you know they call that that awesome mullet. Like, who would have thought this kid with a bowl cut would have gone on to grow such an amazing mullet? You know they call that when they introduce a a new theme or an exciting new thing to a sitcom. Uh, Something like we're running out of ideas. Yeah, jump the shark. Ah, yeah, right. You know what that means? I'm sure you do. Yeah, happy days through and through. Do you want to explain that? You can go for it. No, damn it. Yeah, jump the shark. Yeah, it went happy days. It's just exactly as you just described. It went happy days were starting to lose a few of their ratings and stuff. They had done a double episode so they could stop it to be continued. And then he jumped the shark. Part of the thing was finally was getting behind a ski boat with his leather jacket on the whole lot. And he had to jump a shark. <laughs> but that's where the saying, and it's been the, the, the saying in a sitcom, let's jump the shark. What about Silence of the Lambs? That came out in 91. Yeah. Look, that was a great movie, and uh, look, honestly, Anthony Hopkins, what an actor, and just such a diverse. But that, that would have to be the role of his career. Would you reckon? Yeah, 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 that's yeah. He, ate, he ate a sensor taker's liver with, what is it, some father beans, beans. and a nice Chianti. <laughs> you know, it's funny, but talking about, I guess, also just quickly saying that with role of the career, T two would have to be that for Arnie. 
Like, I think that was amazing. Or him on that Harley. You know, when he's reloading that lever-action shotgun by just spinning it around? And yeah, then, well, they made that gun actually for that because you can't get one. They're, they're, I think now they have made it. There's no such thing. So the, the designers and the prop guys, they said, well, okay, let's, let's make him something that he can use while he's riding. Yeah. Because obviously yeah. there's no lever-action shotgun. I think from there they did actually, you can probably buy one now, but also the fat boy, how is that for a bike? Oh, mate, when he pulls away from that bar and he just hangs it sideways, it's just amazing. And, the, you know, the stunt guy who did the jump jumps off the bridge into that drainage culvert. Also, when that black freight liner does the same thing. Mate. Yeah, that's crazy. That, yeah, that, that's, that, that's that fat boy came up, that actual fat boy came up on one of these reality shows, these car shows. I can't remember the name of it, about five years ago for sale at auction because obviously it's just a, a standard Harley. And the guy who was the stunt man actually yeah. works at the garage as a mechanic. Another great movie from them was Naked Gun Two and a Half. I think it was either Two and a Half or Thirty Three and a Third or whatever it was called. <laughs> the one where he steals that, he's, he's chasing that gun and he hotwires that. I know what you're going to say. Yeah. Oh man! And it's so you sent awesome. me that like clip. Leslie Nielsen and he hotwires that lowrider and he's, he takes off and it's got the musical horns and <laughs> he gets to that. He gets to that um, cornfield or whatever it is and he hops out and he's jumping all over the place. It's, it's great. That's good value. That is a great clip. You've sent me a photo, uh, a connection to that, like a, a link. You've sent me a link to that. But when he's trying to hotwire the car and it's carrying on, it's doing all stuff, that's kind of like me trying to get Skype going this morning on this yeah. rotten car. <laughs> yeah, I'm hearing you. Hey, guess what? What? Yes, it's that time, mate. It is time to review Street Machine Magazine. Have you got your Street Machine Magazine for March 2018 handy? Well, I thought, if you didn't mind, we might do Unique Cars this week. So I've actually got my Unique Car Magazine and all the stuff written on that. I thought you were going to say Survivor Car Australia, but, you know. (laughs) Yes, I do have my Street Machine Magazine. Please allow me to turn some pages in this tier. What do you want to talk about? Mate. Let's do it. I probably want to start with your Rig of the Month. It was a jam-packed issue. There were some great cars in there, but I'm really keen to see what you came up with for your rig of the month. My rig of the month is definitely what they're calling the Skip to Maloo. Oh, it's, it's the that, EKU. It's that EK. I, I can't remember what colour they call it. It's that EKU. That thing is excellent. Really enjoyed that car. 350 uh, cast-iron four-bolt Chev Carby. I uh, went, went for a cruise a little while ago, about a year ago, with a guy. Well, we were just cruising, and there was a guy on the cruise in a single spinner Ford. With a, yeah. uh, it actually had a 327 Chev and a four-speed in it, a Muncie, I think it was. So just since, since then, I've kind of liked a bit of a look at some of the older shape and style cars, and this EK just, just fits in perfectly with it. It does. It's actually, for me, it's a sort of car, like, usually I, I find modern colours on cars can be a real real touch and go with classic shapes and stuff like that. Oh, shit, I just said classic, worst word, sorry, with old school shapes. But that colour seems to work really well, that teal colour it is. And those Centerline Indie Champ rims, yep. I haven't seen a set of them on a car for ages. And it just suits that to the ground. I think it suits the overall build and the stance. So I think he's nailed it. The first the first line in the, in the writing for Dave Carey, I think it's a Slim Dusty song, isn't it? It starts off, as we walk the dusty driveway to his property. I'm pretty sure that's the line <laughs> of a, a Slim Dusty. It's got a Jaguar front cross member. The guy had to cut it down to get it to fit. He had to do it a few times. He machined the stub axles to suit the Falcon Rotors. Uh, the calipers bolted straight on in bits and pieces, but that's some of the stuff I like when they're not 
when the cars aren't just carrying a big obvious Willwood brake package or they're not carrying a big aftermarket package, the guys actually sat down and worked it out. Yeah, sure. And I guess that harks back to the old days where you just walk around the wreckers with your measuring tape and working out what's going to fit where and what you can make work. And I guess if people have the skills to do that, and maybe it works out better for them financially too, just putting together what they need. Yeah, and that's self-satisfaction, I suppose, with doing that. But overall, like, that car looks amazing. Yeah, that's I like the way close second for regular month for me. I like the way he's put the, the shifter in there. It's not a three-pedal car, obviously, but it's it's not a ratchet pro shifter either. He's put a, a shifter in there that looks like a manual. So just the wood grain dash and the manual-looking shifters just gives it a bit of a really enjoy that car. The write-up was good too. I like how, they, how the guy described the build of the car from the start to finish. And, uh, yeah, it's a really nice car, that thing. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah, sure. I guess for me, rig of the month now, you may remember back in episode one, I spoke about my love of Ford Landau. So for me, it has to be Tom Pauline's black 460-powered Landau. Silverback. Yes, that one. Very tough. Now, you said also that to paint a car like that black, you're really backing yourself. And that is really dead true with this thing. Like, it looks amazing. I think that rear shot on page 112, that just, that's probably the shot of the magazine for me, just the stance of that thing. And I hope he's illuminated those middle section of that tire light as well, just quietly. That to me would be just, I'd be more than happy to have that as my only car for the rest of my life. The only thing I personally might do to it, I think a set of satin auto drags in 1510s and 15.5.5s for me would just set that car off perfectly. But that's, that's a great car. What a credit to him as well. So it's great to see Landau's being built still to that level and not just all becoming gold with vinyl roofs like they were back in the day. So that'd be definitely my rig of the month. I found a good land do in one of the 91 editions, actually. I've got something crazy going on with the rear section. Very nice car. Yeah, yeah. It's had a screwdriver or something in the photo shoot. It's got a screwdriver or something in the rear boot hole key. Do you see what's going on there? We'll have to, I'll drag it out and have a look. Yeah, okay. Maybe they just forgot to take it out before the photos were done. Who knows? No, it's, it's a feature. I can't work okay. it out. Oh, look, what you... I guess I can't talk. I've got a screwdriver handle as my column shift handle in my six-cylinder coupe. So Yes. <laughs> it is, well, it's, it's snap-on. It's ergonomic for, you know, when you're drag racing, it's ergonomically designed for your hand. So that way, you know, when I'm changing gears of the drags, it works out perfectly. And it's, it's heavy er- orange colour too. So Did you see Harry Haig's XR when it was first shot for the magazine? You know, his youth? The blue one, yep. Yeah, did you see it had a, a Sid Chrome shifter for the gear shifter? Uh, oh, yeah, I do remember that now. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that, was, that was pretty good. What about that cover shot? What do you reckon of it? Mate, look, yeah, it's an interesting build, Warbird. Look, on the first say, like, I love theme builds of cars. I think the thing is with a theme build, like, in 30 years' time, you talk about Warbird, people are going to remember that it was an XP, that car, and it just really locks down an identity for vehicles too. But, you know, it looks cool. I think you're going to have people whinging that it's not a street machine and blah, 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 but he doesn't purport it to be one. Like, he says it's a burnout car. It's not registered. It's not this. It's not that. I, I can't wait to see it do some stuff out on the on the burnout pad too. I mean, look, those guys have got a great legacy of building cars, not just sort of recently with the uh, Castleman Rod Shop, but also, like, their father, Kelvin, he's been around the hot rod and car scene for years, like decades and there's a great legacy there. And the, the stuff that these guys are pumping out is really first class. And I love the Tirana they built too, as well. You know, so do I. I, I hope they never yeah. paint that or never. Oh, that to me was just perfect. I don't know why, people, why anybody would have to say, oh, it's a burnout car, or it's a drag car, or it's a trailer cleaner, it's an auto salon. It doesn't matter. If it's got doors, if it's a car, it's a car. I mean, yeah, exactly. a car is obviously not a helicopter, you know. But the good thing about the photo shot that I like, you have a look at both cars. 
Brett batted his little Nicky and, of course, the Falcon. Both the flowers are over the roof. Yeah, well, that's right. One thing I wanted to talk about, the cover shot, just take away from the cars a little bit, which is hard. It's the actual Street Machine logo. Yeah, yeah. The font, I guess it is. It's really iconic for me. The way they've got Warbird written down there below the Falcon, they've got Street Machine above it. It got me thinking about the font of Street Machine there, the iconic writing. I mean, you know, happy with his tunner that won Summonats. Yes. Before this one, you see his T-shirt that he wears with Perth steel bumper streetcars? Yes, yeah. It's obviously his car club. They've even used the font as well. They've started, or, you know, borrowed that font as well. It's a really iconic font, and it's something that always enjoyed on the street machine. So I thought I had a bit of a look at where it come from. Yeah. So I found Jeff Paradise. I found an article on him that he was saying as Van and Wheel magazine started to, as the vanning scene started to fade and people got into some later model cars, they were starting to switch to some later model cars. This, actually, that was in 81, so that's interesting. What would have you been talking about switching cars? What do you reckon cars they were going to from the vans? Well, definitely just early era street machines. I think that's where you had that blending of, I guess, almost van-like styling cues into street machines. So you're getting, say, you might have an HQ Monaro and have flares or you have an XY Falcon with flares. You know, that type of thing in interiors, having, you know, like crushed velvet interiors in sedans and that type of that type of build. Pretty much, I guess, if you look at it being the sedan or two-door versions of a panel van, like that same body style, I think that's pretty much what it came down to. You know, people were still experimenting with individuality and, and customising stuff on their sedans and, and that sort of thing. So what Paradise is saying in his article, they, they looked for a name. They wanted to replace Venning Wheel's name. So they started asking around the... The office. Some yes. should hear some of the names they come up with. These are the names that he said in the article. Hot paint and chrome wheels. That's a bit clunky, isn't it? Especially if you're trying to say it quickly as well. Wheels of fire. Road warriors. That was some of the names. And he said when they uh, finally settled on street machine, it's very cheeky the way he wrote in the article. I'm not sure how to take it, but in the article he goes, we settled on the idea of street machine. None of them in the office had seen this English magazine of the same name. Dot, dot, dot. Accept yeah. him. Yeah, so I'm not, the way you have to actually read it vertebratum, the way that he's written, I think he might have. And so then he, I'll give it to you, the guy, uh, Andrew, as a party, was the wheels and also the street machine arts director. So he came up with the logo. And I have yeah. to think when he came up with the logo, he had been influenced or watching Star Wars. Oh, you think so? Because you think it takes some tips from the bowl? Possibly, yeah. Could do. You want the title to stand out on a magazine rack, don't you? So that sort of goes without saying. So what to, Okay, so let's shop the name around. Okay, we're back in the office. Street Machine doesn't have a name yet. You and I are there. Throw me some names. Oh, okay. Are we talking if we were back there in 1981 or can I do it from now, by 2018? By the power vested in fiction, you can do either. Okay, right. Mate, look, I just give you a quick bit of background. People always whinge go, oh, how can it be a street machine when it's not registered or it does burnouts or whatever the case may be? And I'll tell you what, some of these burnout cars, as much as they aren't a registered street driving car, they would do more Ks. Sure, it's on a donut pad, but the wheel speed those things are doing, they would clock up more kilometres and do harder revs than a lot of fully registered show cars that probably never, ever get driven that are registered. You know, So I think the first thing you need to look at is the fact that the name street machine, don't look at it legitimately like don't look at the exact meaning of what those two words are because by now it's just a brand name it's like the you know like the woman's weekly that's a monthly magazine it's not a monthly magazine but no seriously it's a comparison just to talk about the branding it doesn't really matter what the exact true meaning of those two words are like street and machine 
That's right. If it was called, if it was called engine machine, you would yeah. have people bring it up going, oh, it hasn't got an engine in it. But yeah. my yeah. name for it, if I got to rename the magazine, I'd call it Thong Slappers. <laughs> Problem with that is, though, you call it Thong Slappers, you get people whinging if we didn't feature enough 253s. That'd be the <laughs> Look, no, seriously, but look, yeah. what I'm saying with this Woman's Monthly and Woman's Weekly, like Woman's Weekly, of course, is a monthly magazine, but like my mum and her friends, they aren't writing in complaining of the fact, well, oh, Jesus, you know, it's called Woman's Weekly, but it only comes out once a month, not four times. And I think people have got to get past that kind of taking the brand name too seriously. Like it's, it's a magazine that's been around for a long time and that brand name and that, like you talk about the font, it means kind of everything for its identity. So I guess for me, if I was going to change the name, or had to change the name for some reason. Now, this is you're just going to roll your eyes when you say this because you know that I just have issues. I would be calling it the anti-restorer or I'd be calling it the classic wrecker with a picture of someone giving the finger. So I, I'll be down with that definitely for sure. I'll go with the, uh, the anti-restorer. The yeah, anti-restorer magazine, yep. That actually sounds interesting. Also on the cover, Warbird. I've got some thoughts around that car myself. Yeah. When you have a look at their photo shoot, and just Warbird, the name Warbird kind of rang a bit of a bell move. When you have a look at the photo shoot, obviously points to some rubble, there's some demolition stuff around it with some Rio Bar. And the name yeah, Warbar, sure. it kind of reminds me, okay, is this an aeronautic? Is this an aeroplane theme? Is this in basic pointing to an aeroplane theme? And it reminds me of the first renderings I've seen of Scotty's MX-5, Street Machine's MX-5. Have you seen the rendering of it in its Kitty Hawk library? Yeah, I have. It looks, it looks unreal. pretty cool. Yeah, I sure. wish they had wrapped it in that. And so I'm just thinking, okay, that's obviously some sort of 70 degrees of separation between the Warbird cover car and between the original rendering of the Kitty Hawk. I really liked it. It was excellent. Deconstruction is a word that you probably don't use much when it comes to street cars, but definitely with some of the rat rod stuff. Uh, I know you hate rat rods. I'm probably in the same boat. But I like the way underneath this car they're saying it's quite nice and they've put some of the defects into the wrap so the body's nice and they've put some duct tape on it. It's actually a little bit of deconstruction. It's kind of almost the opposite of what we would do as car guys. We'd make the thing look a little bit dodgy in bits and pieces after you've done the repair on it. It's just the interesting, you know, it's, it's the same thing as when they put they induce patina. I've seen some guys on a car show, they got some Coca-Cola and something else and they put it on a car. And you and it's a common thing now is to induce patina. Oh, yeah, for definitely. Yeah, like spraying salt water onto your car with a spray bottle. Anything yeah. that kind of helps bring that look along. And I suppose, you know, talking about, deconstructing stuff you're not going to start talking about deconstructed food are you that's sort of in the same line as patina you know where deconstructed food comes out of don't you <laughs> well at the end of the day i just deconstruct food in my mouth you know, exactly and that's where it all happens you know if i can talk about just quickly i know it's an american vehicle but i'm going to give this a special mention the international man of mystery for me is that ron howell's type 3 vw the gasser i know yep. it's not australian so i'm not giving it rig of the month but i just got to give it a special mention that thing with the twin flat fours, like I love the whole vintage gas look, of course. But I think that car, talk about talk about thinking outside the square. I think that car came out really well. And, you know, I'd love to see that in the flesh. But as far as special mentions go, I'd love to just quickly mention Michael Sahane's XD family. So my apologies if I haven't actually pronounced his surname right, but he's got that beautiful red XD family. Yeah. Now, I'm not a huge XD fan. I like him, but again, they're not at the top of my list. But the thing I love about this bill was the fact it was his dad's car. So that bill's really A cool legacy car, car, I call that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And the also the thing is, he's just had a crack at so much of it himself, you know, and, and he says, it, you know, so I find that really cool, but he's really, I don't know, he's, he's really cool about it. Like, you know, quite modest about it as well. And I really enjoyed reading that story and you can kind of almost feel the emotion that comes out of it. 
The other thing I thought was pretty interesting was he's got the garter belt hanging from the rear view mirror and there's the story of the fact that it was put there many years ago after you know, his wedding and that, you know, that's a real old school trait, having the garter belt there. But, mate, looking at the photo, I think it might – he said it's never been taken off the car, but I think maybe it might need a good soak in nappy sand and a bit of a wash. It's looking a bit grungy, so probably something I'd look at doing. But I really enjoyed that story of the car. So I think Carly done a great job of writing that up. The actual story about how he was going to sell it and his father-in-law mm. give him a stay of execution right at the end, I would yeah. have punched him in the face. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm going to put you to the test and see if you pass it. It's like, oh, actually, no, that's a bit too lofty. But, yeah, I would have definitely punched him in the face saying, don't ever test me on my car. My uh, my tough shot, my tough photo, yeah. tough car, and obviously it's just the toughest car in the magazine by a long way, and it's the best photo. It's page 31, and above it, just don't burn the snap. <laughs> Okay, yeah, the uh, Fox Challenger. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's Side pipes, the, uh, it's just perfect. That's uh, written by Simon, actually. Good yeah. job, mate. I really enjoyed reading that. I'm allowed to talk about it. Oh, just tell us about the phone call. Did you and him not just trade lines on running on empty like everybody ever does for two hours? Basically, yeah, Ben Hewitt, he's a really good guy. He's the guy, one of the one of the two guys organising the festival, and we had a great old yap. <laughs> and um, They did, they went back and forth. The, the one-liners, and that's the thing, I'd never met them before, but, you know, it's just, I guess it's common ground for a lot of car people. You, know, you talk about that stuff, and that'd be a great event to go to if anyone gets a chance to check it out. I'd highly recommend going to see that. I think it'd be a lot of fun that weekend. And just the stuff Ben's saying about when you got onto Max Cullen, who plays Reb in the film, yep. and he said he's just like this giggling little schoolboy ringing Max Cullen to chat to him. He said he was just a full fan kid, and that made me laugh as well. So, no, that was really good. Mate, and, and speaking of tough shots, that is a tough shot of that Fox Challenger. Like, that, what a cool car. I'm glad it stayed the same. I'm glad it hasn't been restored back to some nut and bolt factory RT or whatever the hell it might have been. I guess um, speaking of tough shots for me, I'd have to say, you know, on page 59, there's a silver LJ Tirana owned by Matthew Collins. That, to me, just something about that car. It just works. The stance, the wheels. And yep, I'm, not big, yeah. I'm not even a big wheel person, but I, something about that car I really enjoyed. Page 121, the Krankenstein, mainline gasser. Again, being a gasser fan, I, I love that car. I think it's a great thing. It's a, a drag challenge car as well. But also one of my favourite cars, and actually one of my favourite panel vans in the modern scene, is Casey Johnson's XC Superbird van. If you have a look on page 23, you'll see his Superbird van, the white XC with the cool graphics down the side. It is excellent. I've actually seen it that is. on some, um, in a, not internet, what's that other thing, the social media? It, perfect. That's one of the vans that absolute yeah. kudos, mate. Perfect. Thank you. That's one of the ones that we yep. all get to enjoy. Some Somebody else has built it for, every, you know, that's a bit yeah. lofty, but it's how I feel. I'm sorry. It is perfect for us all. Thank you for giving us that visual thing, eh? But the thing is, too, is that like Casey builds and has built some fantastic cars over the years, but he's a sign writer, too, and a graphic artist, so he's got a good eye for design and style. But that car was a real budget build. You know, he pulled like a $300 XC Falcon out of a, you know, some guy's shed. He's painted himself. He's put the spoiler on there. He's got it all set up. He's done the graphics, and he's got – he's just chosen a theme, and he's stuck to it. And how those – he's got like 15 10s under the back with 285.75 TAs. The car's got heaps of stance. He's got some great plans coming up for that thing. And it's like he says, he goes, it's probably one of the cheapest cars he's ever built, but it's one of the cars that build, like, just gets him so much attention. Like, people always commenting on it. He goes, it just amazes him. You know, the sort of car you don't pick your nose driving because someone somewhere is taking a photo <laughs> or videoing it or doing something. Did you have a, like, a Reader's Rockets that you liked this month? 
I have. It's the actual convertible uh, Z car in there. That thing, I I wanted to really choose the Holden with the injected. I really wanted to choose Brett Forward's FC with the Simmonses and the 185 injected. But I think that car, on its, I think it's got enough. You know, it's probably got a few trophies and bits and pieces. For that reason, I just picked Fane Harmon's 1976 260Z convertible. There's so much going on with that car. It is, mate. So much work going into that thing. And just the fact that, you know, he hasn't gone down the normal path. Like he's just done it to his own personal taste and style. And really, that should be what it's all about. Not building it for anyone else. It's excellent. I'll actually, just before we finish up on Casey, that photo of his XE, the green XE paddock basher, is an excellent photo. I reckon it, it could have been on page eight, as you know, you know, page eight normally at the yes. top of the credits. It would have fitted there. It's just us all over. It's part of the street machine. It's just perfect to 17. Yeah. I really like that car. Another car, can I just flick page? I like having the car in front of me in the magazine open while we're talking. Sorry if that sounds a bit clunky when we're actually changing the pages and everything. That's okay. You could have farted and that would have been far worse. So Who says I didn't? Pages is fine. Who says I didn't? Here it is. It's this car, the, the FJ. Uh, FX, I beg your pardon. There you go. That'll get me in trouble now. The FX. It's called Trophy Hauler. Yes. Yeah. I kind of yeah. like the car. And then you put me on to Mang Mang. You said, oh, Mang Mang. I didn't know what that is. It's the six cylinder. It comes from the expression of Mang or whatever. So then I turned it into a Mang Mang Humpy Tilly. Sounds like a you know a brothel or something, I guess. But that article and the write-up and everything is really good. It's photos by Ben Hoskins is excellent, it's particularly the engine bay photo on page fifty. Oh, mate, yeah, that car, that's, that's that car is amazing, top to bottom. And the, one of the things I love, you know, sometimes it's the little details in cars that really float your boat. The way he's finished the inner guards, like where the guards bolt on, he's got these amazing, like the cool little strips that go down where the, the bolts. And it does explain in there that it bolts from underneath, etc. But it's the little details that just make the car an amazing build, for sure. Page 50 and 51 double spread also, because, you know, I, I'm too much into this, is an example of what we can do as a magazine. It's it's a bit of a, a show-off, a bit of a, hey, look at this. How good a photo is that in a bloody magazine? You know, it's just, it's. I think Ben has done an excellent job. Plus the photo, the photo shoot and the way that put the whole magazine, have you seen the four kids standing in front of it at the show? Yes, yeah. How is that not satanic? That's like the FX that ate my family. That's a horror movie right there. It's just such a good photo. And there's so much going on in the photo shoot, all the old photos and bits and pieces. It's yeah, crazy. and I love, like me personally, I love the history of bills like that. The more photos they put in of, like, say, the guy when he first buys the car or drags it out of a paddock or whatever the case may be, I love seeing that history to see where these things have come from and how they've become what they are today. And I guess that's a 20-year journey that particular car in that family which i think is really cool too but page 61 there's a photo of john hutchings black xk ute doing a bit of a power skit if you have a look at that i love that ute i think it's an amazing ute you know it was featured a few issues ago and the only thing i just wish he kept the line auto drags on it it's a real 80s type build like as in it looks that way but you know at the end of the day that car is a massive elite hall winner it's a fantastic ute it's a real credit to him like it's got the amazing black paintwork again like you say, you're backing yourself if you paint something like that black. And um, hey, that thing is tunneled tunnel with no front bumper and stuff, isn't it? Yeah, that's the one. Shaved yeah. bumpers front and rear. And it's just the old school man in me loves auto. Look, I'd fit auto drags to the Corolla you know, <laughs> if I could. It's one of those things I just love that old school look. But, you know, that's that's an amazing ute and um, a real credit to him. And especially he cleans up in that thing at shows. But as you can see, he doesn't mind giving it a bit of stick either. And that's a perfect combination as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah. One thing I liked about uh, 
the magazine, as well as page 91 to 102, two lane blacktop. There's a bit of an article in there of Castleton and District Drag Race Club meeting that some of the street machine guys went yeah, to. The, sure. The yeah. club has got 12 members, a dozen, the dirty dozen. They've got 12 members and they put on this event. And just again, again the way it was written up is great. It's just, look, if, you, if you're in for hardcore racing, it's probably not that. But the pub's open, the supermarket's open, this little town. They race on the street. They get a dispensation and, and shut the street off. Yeah. Yep. Also a good photo in that shoot is Alan Taylor's Ford or LJ. It's a brown yeah. thing. and. Yeah. Uh, it's a really good little photo. He just says that fits into a bit of the theme about losing the Holden Six and also how much I like. I enjoy Holden Sixes. The story behind the car is just, there's not many words. He pulled the engine out at some stage to use on the farm as a pump. <laughs> that was a classic. Yeah. But I had a good read of that. That was a classic. When I say that Sixes were massive in the scene when I was first getting it, oh, when I was in street machining uh, in the end of the 80s and start of the 90s, Holden Six Cylinders were such an industrial and utility engine as well. They were on pumps. Mm. Generators, drill rigs, agitators, you know, yep. the back of agis, yeah, ambulances. You know, they they were just such a commercial engine, and that's kind of where that comes from. You use what you've got. The availability of that is what you've got. So there was just so many holes and sixes around because every workshop probably had draw full of plugs, points, leads. That's right. Yeah. I really enjoy that little photo on that little hidden gem there in that magazine. It's a yeah, it's really cool that the guy who he sold his property to let him buy it back as well. So. I think that's a great thing. What, what would you what would you pay for a Holden six engine that's been used as a pump for twenty years? What is it a carton? <laughs> You'd hope so. <laughs> I guess it depends. It depends if it's undercover or not. Maybe I don't know. You'd yeah. want it as as cheaply as possible. But then again, the problem he's got here is he's got that connection to his vehicle. You know, it depends whether the guy selling it to him is going to sort of go on the fact it's tugging at his heartstrings to buy it back. You know how like you'd pay if there was a car you sold that you wish you'd never sold and you'd give anything to buy it back, you'd pay like probably four times the market value to get it back. I'd pay four times under not to get any car that I've ever had back. (laughs) Yeah, so I just finished off on that uh, that, um, piece about the Carlson and Drag Club. It It was excellent. I really recommend having a bit of a read. Really good how little events and little towns and bits and pieces are part of our car cultures. It was written by Glenn Torrens and Taz McMillan, and the photos are by Michelle Porobic. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right, but it was a good little thing. Yeah, definitely. And there's an excellent photo on page 101 of an LJ or an LC with a mahogany tree in the background, so, or a row of mahogany trees. Yeah. That's yeah. really good. I'll, I'll leave that. Yep. Yeah, cool. Okay, Red, mate, on the tail end of that uh, – hang on, we start again. I just forgot the name of it again. Supercalifragilistic. No, hang on. It's um, what's it called? It's called anti-disestablishmentarianism. No, it's it's on the tail end of what's that? Adult. No, it's called um the thing we do. Bible studies. Bible studies. Yeah. So red on the tail end of that Bible studies that actually wraps up episode four for us. So thank you to our adult supervisors, as you like to call them, Lucy and Deb, Harry and Macca, Jackie and Nick. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you for episode five, mate. So get your 1991 ready. I hope you got a hypercolor shirt ready to go. I certainly have. So I'd like to also thank all our adult supervisors, as you just mentioned. But also just a quick thank you to a guy, uh, Brett Abraham, car 35, he calls himself. He's got an EH Holden bash car, you know, the variety bash timer. Oh, yep, yep. They raise money for children. Interesting fact he told me about it. The car's been through a few different owners. And basically, if you want a bash car, you can jump onto their website, just buy one that's ready to go rather than have to build something. But he was talking to the organisers at the bash about his car and they think the car's had a few different owners and a few different libraries over its its time as a bash car, but they think that it's possibly raised $350,000 for the variety bash in its lifetime of being a bash car. Oh, wow, just that single car. 
Mate, I reckon that is absolute credit to the to the bash people, to Brett, to everybody. That okay, so we've all got street cars, we've got show cars, we've got bits and pieces. But here's this EH. What a good thing to do with an EH holder to raise, exactly. yeah. you know, possibly three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So this, in my end credits, I just think that's really worth matching. And good job, Brett. Good job, variety bash guys and everything. It's a great thing to do with the car. I think too, if it's, especially if it's something that you have a, a couple of spare bucks laying around that you can donate to, donating to. You know, people undertaking that variety of action. Like it's great entertainment, not just for us sort of seeing the photos and stuff after, but all the small towns they support traveling through as well. And I think, yeah, if it's something you can get on board with, for sure, get on That's and enjoy. But Brett said it's, it's doing the thing, shares a couple of pointers with Drag Challenge. He actually, emailed, Brett himself emailed Arby when he was over in America doing the, the uh, poor 440 thing at Drag Week. Yes. Yeah, hot and, and, and he was wrapped. Arby emailed him back, said, "Oh, yeah, good on you, mate. You do the we do the uh, variety bash." And he just had a bit of a, a chat to him about that. Yeah, actually, the good thing too about Brett's car, did you see? It's got the flared, it's got the hand flared guards, and he's got a photo of it at Bathurst there, uh, up top of uh, McPhillamy Park too. So that's a great little thing for him to to get. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I love EHs with flared guards all the way. Yeah, so. <laughs> all right, mate. I will chat to you next episode. Okay, so I'm take care. All right, cheers. Bye. See you, buddy. 